Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist and the Voice of Compliance, back again with the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, for another episode. Uh, Matt, there is a storm going up the East Coast. Are you safe and sound in Boston? Uh, we are wind swept here in Boston. Uh, we are not apparently going to get much rain, uh, but uh, we are. The wind is picking up, and I think it's going to be windy overnight. And then they say it will be sunny and humid as usual for August here by tomorrow. So that's what's going on. Well, Matt, you had a really interesting uh, blog post a little bit earlier this week on the sordid saga of Alexander Vindman and whistleblower retaliation. You want to uh, set that one up for us? Yeah, sure. So this uh, came across my radar screen. Alexander Vindman, for those who don't know or already have forgotten the name, uh, he was the former national security officer in the White House who uh, he was the whistleblower for the Donald Trump Ukraine impeachment scandal, uh, where his concerns were passed along to Congress and then it blew up in impeachment. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, Alexander Vindman, who was a lieutenant colonel in the military with 21 years of service, uh, he was forced out because the president and his minions were mercilessly uh, taunting him on Twitter and in social media and otherwise saying he was unfit for duty. Uh, the president transferred him out of the White House, which the president's commander in chief he's allowed to do. But uh, he had suffered so much retaliation for speaking up about the Ukraine misconduct that he retired, uh, I believe, this past weekend, which led retired Lieutenant Colonel Vindman to write an op-ed in The Washington Post about life as a whistleblower and the pain of suffering retaliation. And I thought it was fascinating for some very good lessons we can get to later on about what a good whistleblowing and speak up culture looks like. But more than that was just, it was a fascinating glimpse into the psychology of a whistleblower and what goes through their minds after they have suffered retaliation. Um, and even if there are people listening out there who are still defending Donald Trump and think that uh, Alexander Vindman was a traitor, and when I posted on LinkedIn about this, several compliance professionals chimed in saying exactly that. Shame on them. But anyways, whatever your politics might be about Alexander Vindman and impeachment and President Trump, you can put all that aside. The lesson in his op-ed that I was writing about is just it gives you a sense of the psychology of whistleblowers and people who suffer retaliation what it is like for them when they go through that experience. And if compliance officers need to handle whistleblowers and think about retaliation and meet whistleblowers where they are, then you need to appreciate the psychology that goes through their heads when they suffer what they believe is retaliation. And it was a fascinating glimpse into that uh, mindset. That's what Alexander Vindman gave us with the op-ed and the post. So I'd recommend everybody read that. Uh, just It was great material. Matt, what do you see as some of the highlights that he wrote about in terms of the psychology of a whistleblower? 
you know, the thing that struck me was how much that can be a transformative experience for whistleblowers when they suffer retaliation. Um, it isn't easy to blow the whistle. Uh, it takes a lot of courage and you are doing it without necessarily any sense of I will be protected or I will be safe on the far side of this. Um, and then you try and then you suffer retaliation. So there is this sense of, I, I guess, betrayal. And I said that it is not a feeling that fades. On the contrary, this retaliation is a feeling that fuels everything else that you will do after that. Um, it will change how you view your current organization. It will change how you view future places that you might work, uh, how you do your job, how you interact with others. You're likely to become less trusting. You have become less trustful of interactions with your coworkers, with what management tells you. And it's important to know that because compliance officers so often are struggling to convince employees that you can trust management when you say, please speak up, we want to hear about this. You know, most of them are going to be cynical and say no, and they're not going to believe you. And you have this constant uphill battle. And then when a whistleblower suffers retaliation, that confirms all the cynical beliefs that they had. And everybody else who might be a whistleblower, they see this. Um, so that's the sort of thing that you have to really appreciate and understand if you're going to conquer whistleblower retaliation, if you're going to convince people to have a speak up culture, you need to understand just how retaliation can put someone on a totally different trajectory in their life, their interactions with others, with management and everything else. Um, it's a terrible experience. And I won't go into details, but many years ago, I once spoke up. I wasn't blowing the whistle on mis misconduct, but I worked somewhere where I had to go to senior executives to say this department head here is incompetent and they're going to wind up uh, causing a lot of trouble for the organization. And senior executives fired me for speaking up because they didn't want to replace that manager. And I can still tell you exactly how I felt that day and how that has made me feel and how cynical you can be about senior executives. I know many compliance officers themselves that you probably can appreciate it too, because so many compliance officers have felt retaliation directly themselves. Um, you could probably feel a bit of sympathy with Alexander Vindman in the essay he writes. And even if you disagree with his politics, like the sentiment of what he is trying to convey there, it is so important to understand. And I suspect many people could sympathize with him regardless of their politics. So my experience with that same issue, Matt, was it wasn't immediate retaliation I wasn't immediately terminated, but it clearly took me off the leadership track I was on. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was perhaps a little more subtle, but nevertheless, it was there. Uh, it seems like this kind of breaks down into maybe two areas. One is how do you get someone to raise their hand or speak up? And then what do you do after they've done that? Are those kind of separate psychological states with the need for um, separate responses from the compliance professional, or do you see those as, as close to the same? I would see them as somewhat separate because, okay, question one, how do you get somebody to speak up and raise their hand? Um, ultimately, it will be incumbent on that employee to decide to raise their hand. Now, you can come up with a trusting environment, um, and you can encourage them, but they themselves have to decide to do it because you, senior executive in the CCO suite, you know, you probably don't know the misconduct that they do, and they're wondering whether to raise their hand or not. But it is incumbent on them. 
Now, your second part there was how do you keep them protected? That is on you, senior executive, whether in the compliance function or some sort of corporate security or you're even in the CEO suite or in senior management. But how you do protect them can be more nuts and bolts um, about how do you keep their identity private and shielded during an investigation. Uh, how do you keep somebody separate from managers who are under investigation, if that's where things are going? Um, there's a lot of protocols that can be put into place to protect a whistleblower. But the decision to blow the whistle ultimately resides in the employee. And so that's more of a building the right environment for them to feel safe to speak up. Um, and a lot of that is going to be about trust. It's going to be about messaging. It's going to be about um, somewhat giving them the right tools, like an anonymous hotline. But I ultimately think most employees, you know, they don't use an anonymous hotline to speak up. They do go to their managers. It's more about have you created a culture where they feel safe enough, comfortable enough to speak up. Um, and then you kind of plant that fertile soil and see if the, the seed of whistleblowing will grow up, which is a terribly hokey metaphor. But but there it is. You also uh, wrote a, some portion of your blog about the following, and I'm just going to quote your citation from the Washington Post. Those who chose choose loyalty to American values and allegiance to the Constitution over devotion to a mendacious president and his enablers are punished. I was really intrigued by that, uh, and that's a quote from Vindeman's article about choosing loyalty to the American values, and how do we as compliance professionals, try to get employees to choose loyalty to doing business ethically and in compliance as opposed to some other goals such as uh, money, 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 or um, chasing the almighty dollar? I think a lot of it has to do with executive leadership and CEOs setting a role model, and we can talk about that in a moment. But I, I just wanted to unpack what Vindeman said a little bit more. And that was the line that stood out to me in his essay, the one that you had just quoted there, where they are choosing loyalty to values and allegiance to the, um, the Constitution over devotion to the person of the president. And when we all talk about core ethical values and what the company stands for and everything else, like that's what this is. That is what this means in very practical terms is that. A whistleblower is expressing loyalty to a set of ideas and ethical values that are supposed to undergird the whole organization. And a good leader will welcome that loyalty to the values and to the mission, as opposed to a bad leader welcoming loyalty to him or herself alone. Um, when the bad leader is saying, I reward loyalty to me, they are in effect saying I am more important than the values and the organization as a whole. Um, and that's terrible leadership. I make no bones about it. I think President Trump is a terrible leader. I do think that he is puts his own self-interest ahead of the Constitution and American values, assuming he even knows what either of those things are. But um, if you talk about a speak up corporate culture and core values and commitment to a higher calling and all these fun buzzwords that we like to talk about in best practice land, that's what it really means. Um, Vindman simply expressed it in the terms of his organization that he knew, which was the federal government. But the principles are the same. 
in private organizations that have this statement of values and they have their ethical priorities that we put out in the nice glossy 10K report every spring and all that stuff. Um, Really, the rubber meets the road when the senior executive, the CEO, says loyalty to those things is more important than loyalty to me personally. Um, And that's the sort of message that you need to cultivate for a strong speak up culture. You well, when I say you need to cultivate, I mean you, the CEO, the chief compliance officer can't do this that well. You can help senior executives do it, but they're the ones who have to do it um, because they are the ones who are responsible for corporate culture, not the uh, CCO, not the head of HR. It is the senior managers and the board who are responsible for the whole executive management and day-to-day operations. Now, there was another thing that struck me about the Vindenman resignation And it is that the U.S. Army and indeed the country of the United States lost not just a patriot and great civil servant, but literally one of the top thinkers in his craft and his profession. You don't get to the National Security Council um, with 100 IQ. And uh, and if we could take that analogy to companies, if someone uh, has the intestinal and internal fortitude to speak up, that's probably someone who's going to be valuable to your organization so that by retaliating against Vindeman, we've lost actually a very good army officer. Uh, I agree with all of that. And I think that sets up another point that I had teased out in my analysis of all this was um, what I find most frustrating is that all of the stuff that we are talking about about how good employees, thoughtful, careful, intelligent employees who care passionately about the organization tend to speak up and you want them. This is not new. Uh, In one form or another, we have known about this for many, many years, even if we're not consciously aware that this this isn't news. But um, one thing that jumped out to me, and I think, Tom, we've talked about this before, is um, the book Good to Great by management guru Jim Collins, which came out 20 years ago, uh, and it profiled 11 companies that had been very good for a long while and then suddenly became fantastic for year after year after year and what made them so special. Um, I would recommend every student of organizational leadership and behavior uh, read Good to Great. I'd recommend you only read the first couple of chapters because 20 years later, most of the 11 companies he flagged are now out of business or taken over. But what he said at the beginning is what matters, is that um, all of those organizations that really succeeded so well had what he called a level five leader. And he had their different levels, and level five was the zenith. Um, But they are, as he said, they have a display, a powerful mixture of personal humility and indomitable will. They're incredibly ambitious, but for ambition first and foremost for the cause, for the organization and its purpose, not themselves. That is how he described uh, level five leaders in Good to Great. And really what Jim Collins was saying in 2000 is what we just said five minutes ago is that you are committed to the set of ideals and the flourishment of the organization, not you yourself. And when the CEO is more interested in loyalty to something else rather than him or herself, that's an excellent leader. And you wind up attracting people like Alex Vindman. Um, and we don't have that in the Trump administration. We have the opposite. So yet again, the administration is giving us good examples of corporate ethics and compliance in the negative and just 
do the opposite of what Trump is doing, you're probably going to be okay. Um, but you know, it just, it's so frustrating to me that we already know all of this. And yet we keep on seeing these failures of corporate culture and whistleblower retaliation over and over and over again. But there, there's actual science to show why this is so bad. And yet we still have some leaders who don't get it. So, Matt, I was I have to say I was a little skeptical that we could really tease out lessons because the facts of this case were so stark. But what I've found uh, through this podcast is that because they are so stark, they do present stark lessons. Whereas I typically think that uh, the closer a case is to to the middle or to the edge or, or to the line, that's where the lessons to be drawn are. But this one's so far afield. Uh, it presents really uh, just night and day lessons, particularly uh, when you have a whistleblower who articulates as well as Vindeman did, and that gives you a sense of his intelligence and his gravitas as to his own psychology. So uh, I think there really are a lot of lessons for the compliance professional in this story. Yeah, you know, I had wondered, like, what's the takeaway that a compliance officer could do with with Vindman's article, with my post about it? But really, it's it just helps you to frame when you were talking with senior executives about the the squishy part of compliance, not the internal controls, not the testing, not the documentation, but the corporate values. Like, why is this so important? You know, this is a great example of how good leadership matters because when you are a poor leader. It just you, it leads to a train wreck. And um, look at how this is going to leave people burned and cynical and everything else. You could take this example to CEOs and say, this is what happens when you let this sort of stuff go to pot. And I don't think most CEOs out there would want their organizations run like the White House runs its own shop. Um, it's a train wreck and everybody knows it. And so that's the sort of thing that you can take out. But, yeah, like you said, the lessons here are just so stark that they can't be ignored or refuted. Uh, Great post, Matt, and I look forward to seeing what next week brings us. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me, tfox, at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we take up another topic and take a deep dive into the weeds of it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being a loyal listener. And we look forward to visiting with you again. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave a message on the speaker app on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.